Hi, everyone. This is Gloria, the host of the Love and the Work You Do podcast. And today I have with me John Crown Hatbull. He is an educator, a facilitator. He is an author. He is a professor. He's a professional development speaker going everywhere. Um, and he... And, and, he believes we can help ourselves um, and others through inclusion, dignity, and belonging. And he does that by helping organizations learn um, and grow in the area of human relations. Um, his work focuses on education, diversity, inclusion, um, equity, and social justice work. And I am so excited to, um, to share him with you all today. And the hope is that everyone, um, no matter what stage you are in um, life, I feel like everyone can take away from this, especially if you're a caregiver, um, an educator, um, a leader of any sorts, you will definitely have a lot to take away from this conversation. And of course, um, I will, um, ask him how he landed into this beautiful work that he does. So um, that would be my first, uh, my first, my second question. My first question is um, that I've also learned that the best person that can introduce themselves is actually the person you've invited to an interview. So can you just give an introduction of who you are? Sure. Thanks, Gloria. Um, thanks for the invitation and happy to be here. So I am, um, you know, in terms of my identity nowadays, I primarily, the first thing I see myself as is a father. I'm, um, I'm a uh, father who has four children ranging from 16 to three months old. So uh, yeah, the most recent uh, member of of our family uh, addition to our family. His name is Owen and he is three months old. And right now he's learning how to sleep while my 16 year old is learning how to drive. Uh, so, yeah. uh, and I have everything in between. So um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I think of myself as a parent um, because that's where I'm focused right now. And uh, um, a matter of fact, while my wife is very busy with her work right now, she has a big event a big conference coming up that she's hosting. So wow. that's coming up next week. So before these type of events, she is very busy. So I'm um, trying to do all that I can to care for our little one. And uh, so she can focus on her work. So that's where I am right now. Um, I've Thank been you. an educator for over 25 years now and, uh, or right around 25 years. And within that time I've, I've, served as an elementary school teacher, a social studies curriculum specialist, wow. a language arts resource teacher, um, a professional development facilitator, and a coordinator of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, my job title at one point was called coordinator of cultural proficiency. And oh, yeah. um, now I'm um, focusing, you know, my professional life is, um, focused on thinking about writing, uh, thinking about how I can write more, crystallizing um, the services that I provide organizations, you know, through consulting. And um, so all centered around the concepts of belonging and dignity. 
And uh, so that's kind of where I am now. Um, I'm, I went to high school in Columbia, Maryland. And um, yeah, at Oakland Mills High School. And you're went still to college. Here. Yeah, yeah, and I'm still here in Howard <laughs> County for the time being. Still here, so I returned um, to teach in Howard County. And now I'm taking in the leave of absence from my position in Howard County for an indefinite amount of time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh my. Oh, all right. But you're writing, so it's not yeah. like you're not doing it. Okay, so that's good. Leave of absences are good. They are. Um, I've heard like a, it's almost like a sabbatical in a way, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you come up with great, amazing thoughts um, by the time yeah. you come back. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm focused in on, um, you know, it's a real gift to have this opportunity to focus on a child and to be there for the development and and all of that. So I'm embracing that. I'm embracing being there for all four of my kids and my wife with uh, a more flexible schedule where I can focus on my writing and my my consulting work more flexibly um, than being tied into a full-time position. So I I have up to three years to figure it out. Um, that's really so that's good. I like that. That's really good. I've always thought that was a way to raise a family, um, just to say. Um, but we live in such a world that you know everything is done in a rush, and I guess people think they have to be like a two-income, two-income family all the time, and then sometimes that gets in the way. I think just knowing the priorities. Um, early on ah, that's the thing to, to, to listen to people of experience who tell you like this is what your priority really should be like you know when you're nearly married and um to follow that so so yeah it's hard that's to listen. Good. it's hard to listen because you have to go through your own journey and um mm-hmm. you know and that's when you you really believe what it is that you're doing um, yeah. often. At least that's been my experience. I, I, I yeah. would love to be able to save people from their own unpleasant journeys, but uh, nah, I, nah. I found that, yeah, the messy, Brene Brown is someone who I love to read, and, and, and she yeah. uh, says that the magic is in the mess, the messy part is in the middle. Yeah. And uh, so when you're going through a transformation, similar to a, a uh, caterpillar transforming into a butterfly, um, there's this really messy, disgusting part in the middle. Uh, when it comes to butterflies, um, they, uh, they, the caterpillar literally digests its, its own body. And so it's really gross. Yeah. But then yeah. they reform into something completely new. So, I mean, you and I were talking before break about divorce and yeah. any type of tran- you know, transformative process that you go through. Um, you rebuild yourself into something yeah. new, but there's a messy part that uh, in my first book, I wrote about it as um, sitting in the darkness. Something like that. Mm-hmm. The dark night of the soul. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, the metaphor that I rely on is removing the barriers to the light, kind of like, a, again, a butterfly breaking out of its chrysalis. You're, mm-hmm. you're, the light is already there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what you're doing is removing the barriers to the light and you have to do that and it's hard work and it takes time and all of that but the light yep. is there it's always yep. there every time i want to run back into my cocoon i'll be like why are you doing all <laughs> why because are you it feels trying so to safe yes it, it feels really so safe yes 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 so like why why I, there was a friend i told like earlier on in the COVID. i was like wait this is five years 
I tell people like five years I've been on this journey and I'm like, what are you looking for? Like who sent you on the journey? <laughs> like who sent you on the journey? And, uh, but I find that I'm restless. So, and, and part of the restlessness comes from figuring out like the journey, like you have to do it, but the middle has been messy. Um, really, really messy, but I continue to learn from the experience and then the next me becomes better. Um, and I feel like maybe that relates to your human relations work also. So that's, right. that's really good. Yeah. Right there was like really some messy stuff right there. We just talked, <laughs> we just talked about, um, so my, um, other question would be, so I know, so what we also just discussed also probably goes back to your matrix um, philosophy of things too. Um, but how did you narrow down to know that equity? Because it's like you really went, so you were an educator, you did, you know, went through the, the steps that most people would go through, but I know educators who also are okay with just being the best teacher they can be, right? And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like there are teachers I love so much and like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful. Like, you know, they didn't leave. Um, but then your, their work is different. That's their work. That's what they've been called to do. Your work seems to be this, um, equity work, which when I met you was um, the, all the buzz was about um, diversity, inclusion, and I think equity a little bit, like around 2016, 2017. Um, and, but how did you know, like, I'm still trying to figure out, like, like, my final work, but like, how did you know, like, did you just wake up one day and had like a matrix moment and you're like, yes, this is this. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't, um, uh, there was a moment there indeed mm. was a moment. Um, and I'll describe that to you, but now that I can look back, I can see that it was a journey all along. I, I, I of course mm. didn't see it at that time, okay. but, um, the, my story of how I got here in terms of this work, really uh, an important leg of my journey started in 2004, 2005. Wow. Um, and I was in a training on cultural proficiency with two consultants that Howard County Public Schools brought in. And wow. uh, as a French, teacher? As, as a, uh, I've worked at the central office and I was supporting okay. um, elementary teachers with social studies. Okay, social gotcha. studies instruction. So I, um, I, I was picked to be in this session and I had no idea why I had been picked, but now I know someone saw something in me. Um, so that's a key, that's a key is, is uh, when, when people are providing you opportunities, sometimes mm -hmm. they see something in you that you don't see in yourself. Okay. Okay. Um, and that, that's actually a theme for me. So the person who selected me to be there or who invited me to be there is one person. Okay. So um, I think what she saw in me that I didn't, I wasn't tapped into was really a direct result from my um, 
going to high school in Colombia and growing up with um, the values around inclusion uh, mm. and diversity from from Colombia. And um, then I went to college in College Park, University of Maryland, I came back to teach and I kind of got in, immersed in this world of teaching children. Okay. Um, and I wasn't as focused in on some of the now, now the word I would use to call it is anti-racism. Uh, okay. Some of some of the anti-racist focus that I had back then, um, because I was teaching elementary school. Mm-hmm. But um, someone invited me to be a part of this group. I did not want to be a part of this group because it was five <laughs> full days. I had important work that I was doing oh, with God. elementary schools. I was trying to get this thing called the simulated mm-hmm. congressional hearing started, and I, I loved my job. I've been lucky. I've loved every single one of my jobs. Um, and I didn't want I didn't want to give up five days, but I was told to clear my calendar. And so I went and within the first day, I felt a really special connection, not only okay. to that work, but to the people that were leading the work. Okay. And um, doctors Brenda and Franklin Campbell Jones, who became my um, two of actually the two most important mentors I've, I've had in my life. And I still consider wow. them to be mentors, uh, but I also consider them to be friends and uh, okay. family. Um, so they, they're like everything to me. Um, so that was 2004, 2005. Now during a break or at the end of, actually at the end of the day of one of the seminars, um, Brenda pulled me aside and she said, um, you know, I, I appreciate you speaking up today. I think you need to speak up more with this group. And I said, oh, okay. And I, I just thought, okay, I wonder what she's talking about. And she said, you know, your voice is really important in here. Hmm. I said, oh, well, thank you. I took it as a compliment. Thank you. And then the next day when we were in seminar, Franklin was telling a story about a friend of his. And uh, I have to mention here the racialized component of it all. So Brendan Franklin are both black uh, African-American. I would say um, a generation uh, more senior than me. Okay. So um, whatever that means, 15 years older, let's just say. Okay. Okay. Uh, 15 to 20 years. And so they had been through a lot um, in their lifetime that that I have not or Mm. had not. They also had uh, written at least one book, if not two or three, and were becoming well-known internationally for their consultant services. So Franklin was telling a story about his friend, Randy, who he said, sometimes when I'm not facilitating a group with Brenda, I'm with Randy. And Mm. he said, sometimes Randy... uh, is better to respond to certain questions or certain things that come up with a group because Randy is white. And then, and he just kept going and he kept saying like, he was teaching us about facilitation. So we said, and you know, you have to work with your partner and blah, 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 blah. And he was going on and on. And I, I, my head, I was still back at him saying, because Randy's white. And suddenly there was something happened to me there that I, I never, thought of or never expected, but I suddenly saw a possibility for myself in the work of um, justice and healing and equity and inclusion and cultural proficiency is is what we were Mm. um, working with at that time. So 
in my mind, I was like, wait, go back and talk about this guy, Randy. I want to know what his story is. And it was like right around there, I realized that I always wanted to, you know, be involved in movements that brought the built community and broke down barriers um, and broke down hierarchies um, and created a new future, you know, yeah. uh, especially in light of our painful past, yeah. painful present even. But I wanted to, uh, I've always wanted to be a part of that work, but I never had a vision for myself leading the work until I met them. Mm. And I realized at that time that the only people I really had in my mind that led racial equity work was um, uh, a college professor I had who was Black African-American. Okay. Um, and people on TV like mm. Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton at the time. And so yeah. I'm talking right now about like the, the yeah. 90s, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And I thought, oh, wow, okay, this Randy thing, I have to talk to Franklin about this. I have to talk to Franklin about this. Well, Brenda pulled me aside again and, and had a talk with me. <laughs> and she said, oh, wow. I, I really think, you know, you should um, get more involved in this work. And she started telling me about her dissertation um, for her, her doctorate, for her PhD, and she did her PhD on white men who do anti-racism work. <laughs> and her study, her study, she wanted to find out why the most privileged class of people in, mm -hmm. in a country would try to work to end the oh. privileges and the basically the benefits that they receive, yeah. um, the advantages they receive. Why would someone want to work end the benefits they receive mm. so that was her and so um okay so she started telling wow. me about that and it was really parts of it were entertaining when she would tell me the story but then parts of it were just fascinating to me um and all of that helped me to like we were just talking about on, when you're on a journey mm -hmm. um whether it's anything transformative and and i think of the work that i facilitate with groups is transformative where mm -hmm you know, I bring them to this matrix moment where they have to choose and then they move on to, you know, their new future. Or whether it's like you were saying, like divorce, you get to this point where yet you, you, your identity breaks down, you're no longer yeah. living the life that you live, but then you have to yeah. reform into a new identity, like yeah. the butterfly coming out of the chrysalis. So in that moment, you have to choose yeah. who you are going to be. So yeah. it was around then with Brendan Franklin that I realized that I was forming a new identity for myself, wow. something that I believed in, something that felt right, something that seemed to align with, with, you know, my past and, and who mm -hmm. I wanted to be in my future. The authentic and, self. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. my all yeah. totally authentic, and um, it was it was right. And it, you know, as you mentioned, when you reach out, it's, a, it's I feel very fortunate because I'm doing work that doesn't seem like work. It's mm -hmm. it's just life for me. Um, it's what I'm interested in. It's what I'm passionate about. And I feel like I'm relatively good at it. Yeah, you're good at it. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, I've seen you in action. And um, it, it's funny, because I, I know, you know, everybody sees you also as a f educator. Um, but like, in my head, from seeing you um, hands on with what we did for the 50th of Columbia, 
Um, and then, you know, taking a peek behind the scene and seeing the work he did with the school system, I'm like, yeah, he's like, he's a facilitator first. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you know, right. and then he's an educator second. But um, so, yeah, I definitely appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take us into your, your new book, which came out last year, um, Belonging Through a Culture of Dignity, the Keys to Successful Equity Implementation paper, um, book. Um, so I kind of like wrote some things down. So to me, this is based on what you wrote in the book. I just paraphrased it. Um, so, it's, um, so it's like your book is about the struggle to implement um, change that reshapes um, academic experiences of students, um, especially the marginalized, um, based on traditions in schools. Um, um, you argue that failure is largely based on educators not considering the fundamental um, elements upon which education is based. Sometimes that schools and districts are struggling to get equity implementation right, um, but then they're trapped in that cycle of equity dysfunction, which I saw the chart and I really totally understand it. Like when I looked at, looked at the chart, I was like, ah, oh, this is like something happens, you hear about it, and then the news jumps on it. And then, you know, the mayor or the county executive, someone is out there talking about it. And, but you always know the cycle ends and that it's almost like a show or a performance. Um, so for me, I feel like um, it's the work. So your, so based on your book, I feel like the work of belonging, we, we're now saying the teachers need to help. So we had inclusion. Now we have the work of belonging. But like we want the teachers to help um, so that kids can belong. Um, personally for me i mean i've struggled with i've just noticed that i've been struggling with belonging is how i'll phrase it but i mm-hmm. i might have been struggling with belonging for a long time mm-hmm. which is how you know meeting you came about um i feel like if we could equip a child early um the formative years um to belong to themselves. I feel like, yeah. you know, using your same framework, like how would I do that as a caregiver, as a teacher, you know, as a leader, um, like how, how, what would I do to help that child in elementary school? Cause like there are mm. kids growing up in various places, right? Even here in the United States and like, we can talk about all of this um, and you can try your best to do the work, but maybe sometimes the change could also start from, so we're working two parallel angles at the same time. You're doing your work, but we're also equipping the kids early so that by the time the work you're doing catches on, like they're not so far apart. I don't know if that makes sense. So how can we help them, you know, find dignity in themselves from an early age? Yeah, mm-hmm. thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me answer that. Um, first, though, there were a couple things that you said. One is about um, the book and mm-hmm. about how we're suggesting that part of the problem why we don't have inequitable, why we have such inequity within 
you know, schooling in the United States is uh, because teachers aren't aware of, you know, the fundamental reasons behind it. So while I believe that that's true, obviously I wrote it, um, I really hesitate at blaming teachers uh, mm. at all because I have such admiration for, for teachers. Okay. Um, and I'm speaking about them as a group, right, mm -hmm. as a profession. Now, being a teacher myself, um, I, I realized that, um, you know, I, when I became a teacher, I was entering into a, an institution that has existed for a long time. Yeah. Not only has it existed for a long time before I entered as someone who was paid to be there, um, it existed while I was there as a student. So mm -hmm. I, I really just returned to it, or maybe I just never left. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Being that it's a it's an institution that's been around for a long time, there are traditions. Um, there's a culture of schooling in the United States, and um, what I was really what Floyd Cobb and I, who was my co-author, what we were mm -hmm. trying to say, you know, with that statement was that, you know, we as educators don't have a firm grasp on dignity by mm. design, by design, because schooling in the United States was never centered around dignity. It was never built on yeah. a foundation of dignity and belonging. Um, quite the opposite, actually. Yeah. You know, the, the schooling uh, has served as a mechanism for sorting and selecting the quote unquote and the brightest. Yeah. Um, so with that in mind, schooling is really centered around achievement um, or doing something in order to be valuable. Yeah. So we think about that, like, if you do something, you are more valuable than other people, right? Mm -hmm. If you have the highest score, you know, you feel good about yourself, yeah. you're more valuable, you might have mm -hmm. more opportunity, you know, and um, if you get into a certain class, you know, you might feel good about yourself. So that, that's the type of dynamic that we're describing here. And it's not limited to schools. Uh, it's very much a part of our society where we mm -hmm. have marketing messages coming at us all the time from all angles, from TV, from the internet, from the radio, yes. from signs on the street, um, trying to sell us products. And a big tactic that's used in marketing is to persuade you that you'll be better off if you buy a product or buy a service. You know, you'll mm -hmm. live a more fulfilled life. You'll be valuable. You'll be cooler. You'll be more attractive. That's... And so, you know, we, we have a really, um, dysfunctional environment that we are living in that is rooted in, in what Donna Hicks, who is the worldwide expert on the concept of dignity, I Donna Hicks calls it um, false dignity, which is getting your sense of value and worth from something that is outside of yourself. Because mm. true dignity, you have it the moment you're born. You have the moment, you have it because you're human. You mm -hmm. have value and worth that's in you know, intrinsic, that is a part of your being, just because you are human, just because you are living, you can't earn it, you can't lose it. But the thing that Donna Hicks also says is that even though we're all born with dignity, we're not born knowing how to honor it. And there's actually mm -hmm. a lot of things, even beyond our societal influences, or the way schooling has been set up. There's a lot of um, influences, even biologically, that make it much easier for us to violate our own dignity yeah. and violate the dignity of others than honor it. So we actually have to learn. This is where the good news is. We can learn to honor our dignity. Mm -hmm.
Okay. Yeah, and uh, am I still here? I just got to zoom. Yes, still here. Okay, here. we're still here. <laughs> so we actually have to learn to do it, and and that's the good news here. And okay. so I, I really, you know, appreciate what you're bringing up with children as a, as a caregiver. Um, how can we create a new, you know, trajectory where where not only you know we honor the dignity of children, you know, by default. Mm-hmm. But also we help them learn how to honor their own dignity and mm-hmm. how to honor, you know, the dignity of others. And again, what I mean by dignity is the intrinsic uh, value and worth of all mm-hmm. people just because they're people, but also the, um, the vulnerability that all people have. Um, mm-hmm. And that differs from person to person. So when we talk about the most marginalized groups of people, we're talking about people who are more likely to have their dignity violated than other groups of people. And so that's where the concept of equity Uh really comes in, is that even though we're all equal in terms of value and worth, we're not all equally vulnerable all the time. So much of that Mm -hmm. has to do with the conditions we find ourselves in. Um, And, uh, you know, the traditions around exclusion that have existed, you know, in the country for hundreds of years. So um, I would say now let me answer your question. <laughs> no, th- th- <laughs> that was we do it? Too. Yeah. How do we do it uh, with um, honoring the dignity of children? Well, you really can't well, escape them it. To honor, teaching what them to you honor their own dignity. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. I, I can't let you off the hook here oh, <laughs> or gosh. anyone off the hook. The first thing I would say is if you're a caregiver, how are you doing you know, how are you doing with honoring your own dignity, your own value and worth? Where are you in terms of loving yourself? Because no matter what relationship you're in, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a friendship, whether it's, um, you know, teacher-student, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a romantic committed relationship, if you have issues with your own value and worth, mm. it's going to be, come up in terms of unhealthy dynamics in the relationship. Mm-hmm. So the very first thing with someone who's a, a, a caregiver is, how are you? Are, are you, you know, aware of the mm-hmm. ways that you're likely to violate your own dignity? Yeah. In a very simple way that people violate their own dignity, uh, one of the ways, Donna Hicks has 10 ways, but here's one mm-hmm. that I think we can all relate to, is relying on false dignity by comparing yourself to other people. So the very mm-hmm. common thing people do especially in organizations, they compare themselves to other people to say, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Okay, I'm mm-hmm. not, you know, I don't have the job that so-and-so has, uh, but at least I'm not there. Or on mm-hmm. social media, people, I've tried to, I've, you know, I don't mess around with Facebook anymore uh, for years now. And I, I kind of resist some of that social media because um, I think it's a little unhealthy with people comparing themselves yeah. to other people or some people trying to project this image of this perfect life. And then, you know, that's not really what's going on, but that's what yeah. you're putting out there. And then other yeah. people are feeling bad about themselves because and they're not on this know. vacation mm-hmm. or they don't cook mm-hmm. food like that all the time. So it's like a trap. It's like a false dignity trap that we fall into. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's really easy to do. So as caregivers, we need to, we need, we all need our own therapy. We need our own therapist, basically. We need someone to help us mm-hmm. along with, you know, loving ourselves. Mm-hmm. We need to be on our own journey. 
Mm. Then in terms of teaching children, it's like from an early age, just thinking about how do I honor their value and worth that they came into the world with? Mm. Um, how do I maybe resist the messaging that I grew up with that children should be seen? Ah. You know, how, there's oh, a, so the many one. influences that we need to break down um, yeah. because those messages end up um, thwarting belonging. Yeah. And we haven't really talked about that, but like our, our theory in the book is that by honoring dignity, mm -hmm. people develop belonging, you know, which basically mm -hmm. is full membership. Now, mm -hmm. whether you belong to yourself, like you're living in alignment with authenticity, mm -hmm. or whether mm -hmm. you belong in an organization where you, you know, you per perceive yourself as a full member, not as mm -hmm. a, some, someone on a lower level than others, or someone who has to assimilate to fit in right yeah. or anything yeah. like that yeah um that's what we mean by belonging so with yeah. um you know with 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 children it's like um let's just use schools as an example again schools are set up to have the adults mm -hmm. transfer you know the good stuff the learning to students um so as, as as teachers when i'm working with teachers you know it comes down to how are you sharing your power with, with students? Mm -hmm. How are you elevating their voices? How are you giving them choices? Here, here's a cool one I just saw. My high school student okay. is uh, taking a psychology class. And she's already said, when I've asked her which classes you like, she really likes this, this psychology class. And I asked her why. And she said, well, I really like the teacher. Well, just this morning, I opened my email and I get the updates that their teachers send out through campus. Yeah. And I opened the one and uh, it was the psychology teacher over the weekend giving the students a survey saying, you know, in this pandemic situation, we are not going to be able to study all of the units that oh, we wow. would study over the course of a year. Okay. So what we'll do is dive into the ones where that where you all have the most interest. So take hmm. the survey and vote on which units are most important to you. And, yeah. and I just thought, okay, she's elevating student voice right there where they have a say in what they're doing. Yeah. So in that process, they're validated as important members of this community. Their voice matters, right? Mm -hmm. their, mm -hmm. their life in that class matters. They're right. being validated. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's a, a 16 year old example but even you know I, again i'm lucky to have this range with a two-year-old yeah. you know my wife and i are, are, are talking about how do we help her with choices mm. as well as accountability because also helping and it's all age developmental you know yes, it's like yes, she's, she's yeah. only two so she's just figuring out what the parameters oh are and what the boundaries are, but, um, that's great. <laughs> yeah. So there, there are a number of different ways. If, if anyone's interested in, in the concept of dignity out there, um, you know, you've mentioned our book, but also, mm -hmm. um, Donna Hicks, as I mentioned, she's written two mm -hmm. important books. One is called, um, dignity and the other is called leading with dignity. And, mm -hmm. uh, both are, are really good with this topic. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I feel like we 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 delved in um to that a little bit. So so thank you. That's my part <laughs> trying to trying to save the world. So let me see. Yeah. You know, that's what uh, uh, Dr. Cobb, who's my co-author, and I we talk about a lot, which we try to help schools in particular, but whoever we're working with, um, 
resist the urge to try to solve the problems of the world and to focus in on what they can do with their specific environment um, mm. because it's sometimes a fool's errand to uh, to <laughs> to try to attack to it's like a mythology of riding in on a horse with a you know a sword and trying to slay some huge dragon and mm-hmm. that type of thing and that's mm-hmm. just not how change happens mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's it's a mythology that we can buy into or we can say you know what that's not very realistic first of all dragons don't really exist mm-hmm. and um so how can i focus in on who i'm working with mm-hmm. you know and then with the school mm-hmm. it's let's figure out what issues of inequity and exclusion are going on right here how are the people in this community feeling Mm-hmm. about the degree to which they're a member. It's the mm. same conversation I would have in the family. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. how are we doing here? And um, even if it comes down to, so let's talk about what we're going to do this weekend, which is a different mm. conversation than me saying, I'm the dad with all the power. Here is yeah. what we will do this weekend. Yeah, that's so true. I, and that's the thing with the work you're doing. It's like, I find like you can interchange education or replace some other form of hierarchy with education. And I know in your book, you kind of talked about that too. Like there was talk about like nonprofit or even just a nonprofit organization, the same principle would work with them. And like you said, in families too. So I do really believe that you can change, you can change that. And I feel like also part of your work is like even after you go into these places and you have the conversations with people, it's now a little bit of, okay, empowering the person to, you know, start to change where they are um, and not necessarily to, (laughs) like, I want to be, the the savior complex um yeah for every yeah for everybody else in the world so yeah one well, every now and then um that happens to me while reading no, it happens to us all <laughs> very common uh, like every day i'm like okay take a step back gloria <laughs> take a step back while reading your book um what did i do oh so this is funny like i was re- reading on kindle so the pages might be different than an actual paperback so like on page 56, um, I can't even remember what I was reading about, but then like I came up with this with my own quote based on what I was reading. And someone's was like, belonging, um, those who have it, and then those who don't, both pretend that it doesn't matter. <laughs> and, and I'm laughing about that because that's, that's, this is what I see in the world. So like everyone wants to belong, right? But then some people are lucky enough that they've already found as if they belong, either because of achievement, um, you know, because that's the same thing in education, in any organization, you know, what gave you the sense of belonging? And do you have the you know, the inclusive type of belonging. But if you're there, now it's almost like, you know, um, I belong. So like, huh, what are you talking about? Like belonging doesn't, that, that's not a thing. People want to belong. I don't believe that. And then, mm-hmm. for the, <laughs> and then for the rest of the world who are like, 
oh, I want to belong. I want to belong. I'm like, okay, all the other people acted like they, they're okay. Like, you know, this belonging thing, it might just be me. So like, yeah, maybe it's not a thing. So that's in my head, I came up with that, that quote. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you spoke about the epi- um, epidemic of loneliness. Um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's where it came from. Like it poses, yeah. it, it's a bigger risk than, than obesity. And um, like, I feel like that's what I've, I've been trying to belong. And I don't know if it's also related to losing my identity from being divorced, mm-hmm. but that then triggered this other thing, like, okay, like, I'm trying, you know, I don't fit in there. Then, you know, all of a sudden you have memories of, ah, oh, I probably always never fit in, you know, feeling like the, the black sheep. And mm-hmm. this is like really messy stuff for me. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. like, um, you know, and nobody wants to be vulnerable to, to let other people know that, you know, you struggle with feeling like you belong because they look like they have their act together. So I guess I should... Um, I should suffer and all of that. Um, so I feel like hopefully with this conversation, <laughs> we'll be able to um, help people like me if they happen to listen to this to understand that, um, you know, belonging is a fundamental human right. Like you said, it's, it's born of inclusion but it also encompasses like okay knowing your worth and dignity um and valuing and valuing that um it's like really it's really tough stuff for me so (laughs) hopefully work it sounds so simple you know that you have to have a firm grasp on your value and worth but it is Mm -hmm. so hard You know, it's Mm -hmm. like we have our biology working against us in terms of primitive survival type of, Mm. you know, um, uh, just impulses even that we, you know, that we're likely to see each other as competition sometimes. So, yeah, but we can get over that. You know, we can get over that. Um, You know, you said it's a a right and and I would say it should be a right. Um, Mm. It's a fundamental human need, just like food and, and water and, and shelter. Um, so it's, it's fundamental. As a matter of fact, on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's, it's belonging is just above, you know, the, the basic needs of, um, you know, food, water, water, shelter, the physiological needs. And uh, so it should be a right. But just as, you know, if we look at this country, um, you know, it's, are, are those things all protected for all people, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't, you know, safety, safety mm-hmm. is a basic need. Safety, given the disparities that we have in our country and the insecurities that range from people, person to person and from group to group, mm-hmm. you know, having the, I don't know if being guaranteed safety is really um, logical or, or practical mm-hmm. given the vast, you know, uh, disparities uh, in, in the vast uh, grasp on security people have. So I, I think it should be a right, just like I think belonging should be a right, just like I think safety should be a right, access mm-hmm. to healthcare should be a right, um, access to food, all of these things should not be sources of insecurity. But I would say, I would suggest at this time, 
you know, it, 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 it is not a protected right for all people mm-hmm. all of the time, you know, where we are. But that's, that's really what we're working toward. You know, that's, that's where the motivation comes in because, you know, we have a lot of growth there um, as a society. Yeah, I feel like we live in a cap, <laughs> a capitalist system and the education system kind of mimics that, just like I said, you know, um, everybody tells you what to do. And in doing that, you fall into the trap of um, the achievement gap Mm -hmm. and you go from the school system and then you take that to your everyday life and it's still the same thing it's now you it's now um so it used to be you versus the other people in school and now it's you versus um you know your neighbor and your colleague and then ever climbing the ladder um to be up there um so if belonging matters um and we live in a system that's almost capital, capitalistic in nature. Um, it's so hard to balance, to, to find a place for, for, for both. How? <laughs> I don't even know if it's a question or if it's just like, it's like, how do you balance? I guess you just know that, okay, the, the world has been like this for a long time and then you do your part whatever your life's work is and you do it to the best of your ability so that's just me thinking but i guess the question was how do you balance achievement and belonging inclusion in this world in which like half of the world doesn't subscribe to to any of this like people, there are people there who are okay with the, um, what's that? I forgot the, let me, let me look so I don't misquote. The, this equity dysfunction. Yeah, yeah. Well, so um, obviously there's a need for inclusion. There's a need for belonging. There's a need for equity, which I would just equate equity to fairness. You know, mm-hmm. that is Am I experiencing fairness? Um, so there's like 30 plus years of research that shows that when people feel, um, when they're experiencing something less than belonging, they're not going to be at their best. They're not going to perform at their best, either at work or, you know, in, in a um, uh, student capacity. They're just, there's, so much research on the stereotype threat, which for over 30 years has been done on so many different you know, groups of people. And it shows there's always underperformance when someone wants to achieve, but they're worried that they don't belong and that they might uh, actually fulfill stereotypes. Um, mm. And so they actually underperform when they're thinking about that because basically we only have so much energy to give. And if we're directing our energy into worrying about this or that, we're not going to be at our best. And that's true anywhere. That's true in a social type of environment at a party. If you're worried about whether or not you fit in, you are not going to be at your best Um, in a relationship, in a committed relationship. If you feel like you don't belong in it, Mm -hmm. you're not going to be at your, 
your best. The relationship's yep. going to suffer. Mm-hmm. So it's it's true no matter what. And you know, like you said, we're not necessarily set up for success here mm-hmm. um, because our institutions and our society isn't structured around it. But uh, what we can do is we can focus on maybe balance isn't the right word, right? Maybe it's something mm-hmm. like how can we get better? And wow. I would say it's a, it's a choice every day through small actions in our local environment based on the people that we interact with or could interact with. Um, When people, you know, show thoughtfulness, are we Mm -hmm. honoring their dignity by Mm. um, acknowledging that thoughtfulness and recognizing them? You know, I'm trying as hard as I can to get back in the habit of writing thank you notes, uh, but it's really important. You know, it's really, really, these little things are really, really important. And, um, you know, it, it, it may be disheartening when you look at big systems, um, yeah. whether it's systems like capitalism or systems like racism, um, or sexism or whatever. It's, um, it can be a little overwhelming. It can be a lot overwhelming. But, um, you know, if you, if, if you plant the question in your mind, your brain mm-hmm. will, will look for answers. And, um, you know, through the relationships mm. with people that you can interact with, at least this has been my experience, is that you start finding those answers. Um, okay. For instance, I was thinking about some of the weight of capitalism uh, 20, like about 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, and um, some, some really uh, scandalous things were going on in our country in terms of um, you know, military going to war, getting kickbacks, like mm-hmm. all kinds of things that were in the news at that time. And uh, just at that time, I, I just came across a book and a speaker. Um, and the book was called Spiritual Capital. And in that mm-hmm. book, she, she was saying, you know, capitalism, um, it's not just capitalism. It's, it's, it's the type of capitalism. Uh, is the bottom line um, profit or is the bottom line adding value to humans' lives? So she, she described mm-hmm. what she was thinking about as, you know, spiritual capitalism. It's a, it's a, it's a capitalism that is, is motivated by adding pe- value to people's lives. So in that, you know, that really, mm-hmm. I always come back to that book and um, oh, wow. think about okay. is the work I'm doing adding mm. value to people's lives? And I think, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of the topic, the title of your podcast, um, I think it's really easy to love the work that you're doing when you see it through that lens, that I am doing something that's good for other people. And in the process mm-hmm. of doing that, I'm doing something that's good for me, something that's healthy for me. Yeah. And yeah. it doesn't matter what exactly you're doing. It, it really doesn't matter what the job is, as long as you see how your job is adding value to people's lives. Because if you're doing something that is exploiting people, that is going to be yeah. very unhealthy for you, whether or yeah. not you see it. You could be a billionaire and ultimately, if you are motivated by exploiting people, you will decay from the inside out. Yeah, yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that. So one question is, um, um, how does one honor hierarchy in belonging so that everyone's included. It almost piggybacks on what you just answered. But I guess to also know that, okay, even though this is how 
things are, um, how do I navigate, you know, the structures that are still there? Like, do you have any, like any studies or have you worked specifically on that? So, okay, could you rephrase the first part? Um, if, you're, how, if you're aware, I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, how can, okay, so let's say I'm where I work. Um, mm -hmm. I want to feel like I belong, but, mm -hmm. you know, I can tell every day that I don't belong. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But then there are still things about the work that I love that mm -hmm. wants to me to stay there. Um, mm -hmm. So how do I honor the the organizational structures that's already in place while um, practicing belonging as an individual. Mm -hmm. I just yeah, wonder I if like you have any thoughts about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. It's, it's first and foremost, standing firm in your own dignity, in your own value okay. and worth and not losing your, your grasp on that. Um, so it's, it's uh, a concept that it's interesting because um, it's something that you cannot, no one can take away from you. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's your, your value and worth, unless you allow it to happen, you know, even in the worst of circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, and Donna Hicks calls it well, the some, Mandela. Some of us don't even, for the longest time I lived without my dignity. Yeah, yeah. I'd given it away, so... Sometimes I wonder, well, like, even if you, if you don't know, so I'm sorry. There's so, much trauma <laughs> in the, there's so much trauma in the world and there's so much trauma that people um, experience at an early age. And so it's really easy to not have a grasp on your own dignity. It's very common, you know, from, from an early age, whether that's just by virtue of trying to live into someone else's expectations for you um, or whether it's some serious, trauma that you know that is um well all trauma is serious but whether it's something really awful that happened to you at some point in your life um mm -hmm. you know it's really really easy so it's it's hard work when it comes down to it but that's the one thing that um that you have to do is stand firm in your own dignity now that means mm -hmm. that you might someone might have to choose to leave Think about your relationship with your job as you would any other relationship. So one of the ways people violate their own dignity is by not standing up for themselves. Mm -hmm. So sometimes standing up for yourself um, might mean that you no longer accept the abuse that's coming your way and you might choose to leave, leave the organization, mm -hmm. leave the relationship, whatever. So that's just one of the, the, the ways um, that you would stand firm in your dignity. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. There's, um, you know, that's the song that Whitney Houston, uh, made famous, which is, uh, the greatest love of all. And she has the, the mm, version okay. there of, you know, no matter what they take from me, they can't take away my dignity, my dignity, mm. my dignity, you know, and then she belts out because the mm -hmm. greatest love so just that phrase, when Floyd and I were writing the book, that 
you know, that memory kind of kept popping oh, up. Of like, she was onto something there. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like, what was she writing about? And then I wondered, did she even write that song? And then I had to research it, but it's a cover. Um, George Benson uh, performed it first. And it was written for, it was written about Muhammad Ali. And oh, so wow. through that lens, it makes a lot more sense because here you had someone who refused to go to war, who just wanted to practice, you know, his religion um, Islam, and also, um, you know, changed his name and everything like that. Now, the culture around him would accept nothing less than conforming, right? And, and, and the culture around him tried everything to get him to conform. Mm-hmm. They took away his championship belt, right? So they took Sorry, away his name to make a living. He was no longer allowed to fight. And they even took away his freedom, you know, he, um, by um, jailing. So it's like, all these things that they took away from him, the one thing that mm-hmm. no one can take away from you is your dignity. Dignity, yeah. However, yeah. for many of us, we have to learn that. You mm. know, and, um, Donna Hicks calls it the Man- Mandela consciousness because Nelson Mandela um, displayed it. And um, it's something mm. that, you know, and then once we understand that concept, we can learn the ways that we can stand firm in our dignity. Mm. And standing mm. up for yourself is, is one of them. Playing a victim is another way you violate your own dignity by, you know, pretending like you had no responsibility in the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's, there's that's no like some therapy stuff right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 And again, Donna Hicks does a good job of it. We have our own framework for dignity. Uh, yeah. That is very much related, but she has some very practical, yeah. you know, ways that you can learn to honor and uh, your own dignity and not violate it. And I know um, I saw the okay. Well, the I don't. This is the the four capabilities that help hmm. you belong. Um, I, I feel like that's really straight to the point. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I I think people should like either people can Google um, to find out more about it. But listening, empathy, openness, and patience. I just think like, uh, you know, it's, it's like, it's right there in front of you to see like, okay, if you're trying to practice um, dignity, this is what it would look like. Um, but then I feel like you put a name to the feeling. Um, and, and so it's good to start on, on those two levels. I know that we are slowly getting to, let me see, the end of the time. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think I hear a screaming baby. Oh, sorry. So my, my only other question is, um, I'm going to leave. I, I have two questions, but I have to not do the, se- the second one since the baby Owen is crying. Um, what would a family, what would dignity belonging look like? A culture that has belonging, dignity, and equity what would it look like if i walked into one yeah you would see first of all people would express that they feel seen they feel heard they feel welcome and they feel treated fairly right and what you would see in terms of actions is you'd see people partnering um as opposed to dominance you you wouldn't Mm. see people dominating one another um no matter what the nature of the relationship is like in a classroom you would see teachers sharing power with students so for instance one of the many many ways would be that they'd be working together to create class um, expectations 
instead mm. of the teacher saying, here are the rules. If you violate gotcha. them, you will be punished. So you, you see them working together to decide on, you know, the agreed upon expectations. So you'd see people working in um, partnership and building community. You'd see people repairing the harm when things go wrong, uh, when there's conflict. And there will be conflict in any relationship. You would see people actively trying to repair the harm and to restore the relationships that they've, de they've developed. And they would have processes in place to do that. Mm. Um, and they would be um, competent. People would be competent and comfortable engaging in that. There would be a certain level of humility where people can say, I'm sorry. Mm. Um, no matter where you are in terms of your position and that type of thing. You would see uh, in terms of the actions that would repair the harm, you would see those reparations being made in a way that people see that if we repair the harm that's been done here, mm -hmm. we'll have a better community. You know, it's not mm -hmm. a zero sum type of mentality. Um, you'd see people um, affirming one another's uniqueness and their differences. So you'd see, of course, the celebration of differences and that type of thing, but you'd see a lot of acknowledgement that none of us is only one thing or mm -hmm. one dimension of our identity. And you'd see people recognizing and celebrating one another um, and not only for who they are, but for what they do. So you'd see celebrations of uh, thoughtfulness and like we were talking about, thank you'd see thank you mm -hmm. notes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you'd mm -hmm. see people showing appreciation. So people would feel appreciated. Um, and you'd see people uh, presuming competence and positive intent. And what, what I mean by presuming competence, because the negative, you could think presumed incompetence. That's the effect of, you know, harmful biases and that type of thing. So presuming competence is actually, it may mean interrupting your own biases and saying, okay, let me lend the benefit of the doubt. So you'd see a lot of people lending the benefit of the doubt, recognizing that they might be judging people based mm -hmm. on things that may not at all be true. So you'd see uh, presuming competence and also you'd see the benefit of the doubt showing up in terms of, of uh, positive intent. Let me, let me assume that people mm. are trying to do something with, with good intent, although it may be coming out. Could that also be framed as, I heard someone say one day like to ask like, so why do you have to do it that way? Or why are you thinking that way? Would that be a great maybe. way to approach it too? Okay. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, there's different theories on that in terms of questioning. Some people say that, that the, starting with a why question kind of puts people on a defensive posture. I, I tend to think it's okay because you dig below the surface in terms of why, but both people have to be uh, mm. willing to explore Invested. willing to have a dialogue mm. yeah if they're not both there the why question can put people on the defensive however uh, if we are in an environment that you're describing in an yeah. inclusive environment where, yeah. where people have access and belonging um, then dialogue would be more normal so that probably would be a norm okay okay all right yeah. oh i love that so i'm gonna let you go to owen to dash off but at the same time do you have anything you're working on or maybe some new um something that happened recently that you'd like hmm. people to to take a peek at oh no just right now my focus is on the book belonging through a culture of dignity um it's available on amazon and i think even though we write in the context of education what we're hearing from people who are not educators are they're they are getting a lot out of 
mm -hmm. um, the read. So that's mm -hmm. where we're focused on right now. And um, I, get, I think the best way to keep up with me probably at this point is uh, my Twitter account. Um, yes. We I, I own a U, URL, but I don't have a website up yet uh, for uh, Dignity, Dignity there's Consulting. There's time. There's time. Yeah, so <laughs> by next time, maybe. We'll see. But uh, I would say, you know, if you're interested Twitter. in any of this, check out the book. It's called Belonging Through a Culture of Dignity and by Floyd Cobb and John Crownapple. Yay. Thank you so much. Yeah, and thank have you a for the invitation. Thank you for being here. Have a great one. Thank Bye. you, Gloria. Take care. Bye.